Slingers, welcome back to another week of the Word Slinger podcast. Have you thought about short stories as a part of your writing career? We're going to talk to Dylan Powell about how he's using short stories in his work. Stick around. It's the Word Slinger podcast, where story matters. Build your brand. Write your book. Redefine who you are. It's all about the story here. What's yours? Now, here's the guy who invented pants optional, Kevin Tomlinson, the word slinger. Word slinger. Hey, well, I am Kevin Tomlinson, the word slinger, uh, voice of indie publishing, so I'm told. Uh, <laughs> and so I tell people. Um, so thanks for tuning in for another week of the Word Slinger podcast. Now I'm talking to uh, he's actually a good friend of mine. We we uh, Dylan and I ran in the we run uh, really in the same circles in the Houston Texas area. Uh, we've both been copywriters here in the area for years. I'm I'm not really a copywriter anymore. Uh, not not professionally. Uh, well, professionally, but I'm not being paid by people to write copy anymore. I'm not doing client work anymore, really. Uh, very rarely. Um, <clears throat> but Dylan and I have both worked for some of the same uh, uh, ad and marketing agencies here in town, and we know a lot of the same people. We work with a lot of the same folks uh, pretty frequently. So, you know, we've always kind of been in each other's circles. Uh, he's a great guy. I, he and I have a lot in common. Uh, including our love for thrillers and mystery. Uh, now Dylan is doing some cool stuff. He, we talk a little bit about um, how he's doing, a, how he's handling book tours and that sort of thing. How he got a, uh, a some pretty nice offers and gigs. Uh, we get into some of that. But what I really focused on in this this chat was his short fiction. Uh, he's had some. Uh, mystery stories published here and there a couple of magazines i'm very interested in the magazine market uh, i used to hit it up years ago things have changed a little but not not so much i was glad to hear so uh, i'm looking at short fiction as a part of my strategy going forward um, so <clears throat> it was great to talk to dylan about this stuff so i'm not going to hold us up anymore we're going to jump right into this interview with dylan powell I'll see you. Oh, stick around. Got stuff to talk to you about on the other side. I'll see you on the other side. Hey, thanks for uh, sticking around, tuning in. Uh, this this week, this is going to be a fun one because every now and then I get to talk to somebody uh, who's a local to me. And uh, we've so this is somebody I've managed to talk to, I think, at least once, maybe twice in uh, IRL, right, Dylan? Um, but uh, I'm talking to Dylan right. Powell. <laughs> Talking to Dylan Powell, he uh, sometimes known as William Dylan Powell. We're going to get into why, because I'm going to I want to bring that story back up, man. Uh, but we're talking to Dylan Powell, who is the author of this book. If you're on YouTube, 100 Things to Do. Let me get the light off of it. 100 Things to Do in Houston Before You Die. I don't want to cover your name or any of the important stuff there, man. So uh, if you're not on YouTube, you're not seeing that right now, but you can check that out in the show notes of this episode wordslingerpodcast.com so uh dylan man first up uh, uh thanks for being on the show i appreciate you being here hey thanks for having me kevin anytime man i've kind of look, been looking forward to this i've been trying to get you on forever um you always you're always too busy with these book signings and 
uh, checking, you know, you're at Costco, you're at Murder by the Book. <laughs> Every time I turn around, you, you tour more than I do, man. Uh, so uh, first up, I wanted to, I want to get that story of why you go by uh, William Dylan Powell, uh, why your pen name is William Dylan Powell. Well, can you, do you mind sharing that? I didn't even ask. Not at all. You know, it's, it's not because I'm pompous, even if I am, no, I'm kidding. Um, the real reason is uh, uh, there used to be this guy, and I don't think he's around anymore, but his name was Dylan Powell. And, in, and back in the early days of the interwebs, when you Googled him, he was like a really controversial religious leader. And there's always some kind of like protest or running with the law. So whenever you give it my name, there's always some kind of weird, unfortunate incident that came up. So I started going by three names just to separate myself a little bit from the crazy so I can have my own kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you, man, I don't have this worry. I, I own the name Kevin Tomlinson. I only know one other Kevin Tomlinson online and, and the poor bastard has zero shot and having a presence <laughs> online. Um, <laughs> so, all right, well, let's, let's dive into your book, man. Um, cause first I didn't do a real proper introduction cause you're actually, uh, this, this book is kind of a, a, uh, culture, culture guide kind of thing an activity guide, but, uh, you're actually, you're an award-winning author actually, right? You've got, you've written stuff that's in, uh, uh, Ellery Queen magazine, uh, Ellery Queen Ma mystery magazine. I always get that wrong. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock magazine. These are these are magazines I read and uh, have always, when I was growing up, was aspiring to write for magazines like this. So uh, you're the real deal. Oh, sounds adorable. My dog is my tiny little dog is unhappy with something. Three alarms going off. So um, you write fiction on top of this. I do. I've got a. Uh, haven't broken out with that not big novel yet, but I've got a couple things going on um, this year. I've got uh, I've got a story in an anthology coming out called The Eyes of Texas. That is, uh, it's all private eye stories, Texas based, and it's uh, it's kind of concepted to come out in conjunction with the big VoucherCon conference that's going to be in Dallas this year. Yeah. And um, another fun project, fiction project I've got happening this year is called Guns and Tacos. This was nice. just made for uh you know someone in texas but that's was, a texas audience right there right it's a it's actually a brainchild <laughs> of um michael bracken i don't know if you know him he's out of waco he's a he's written a lot of books but super prolific short story writer he's written like 1200 short stories yeah mainly prolific and uh trey barker who's a west texas native and uh and a fellow tech grad he's actually actually lives in illinois um in a law enforcement capacity but it's it's um a down and out books project. I don't know if you know those guys. They do a lot of uh, gritty kind of crime mystery type fiction, but it's six authors, and each of the story has a sketchy taco truck uh, on the out in a bad part of Chicago. And you go and you pay for the food, and you get the food, but you get a stolen gun too, and you just have to take whatever they give you. And so it's six authors writing six sketchy, you know, all of the same taco truck, but uh, you know, different different stories and. They're going to release it um, at the end of this year as a serial at one a month, and then the book's going to drop, like, I think the Christmas market this year, uh, tentatively. Anyway. Nice. Um, I was, you know, I want to first talk to you about your, uh, the new book, but I do diff, I want to dip into this whole magazine market thing that you've got going, because this is something I think a lot of authors uh, overlook these days. Uh, it used to be the norm, it used to be, 
you know, if you wanted a writing career, you basically started with magazines uh, and, and short stories. And these days, I don't think that's as common, but I think a lot of authors could benefit from it. But first, I want to talk about 100 Things to Do in Houston Before You Die. What, uh, how did this book come about? Well, actually, it was born of tragedy. Uh, there was a first edition of this book was written in 2015. And um, guy here, I think he worked for the Greater Houston Partnership. It did a great job, included lots of interesting things. And the publisher, who's Reedy Press out of St. Louis, had a terrible warehouse fire. Hmm. And so every copy of the book was lost. And they lost like 100,000 books overnight. It was, it was a really terrible deal. And, um, and rather than just reprint the books as they stood for some titles, they thought, well, why don't we just hire another writer and have them write it from scratch? And uh, that's why I decided to reach out and I got the call and I was telling the story the other day that I almost blew it though, because um, uh, they reached out to me during Harvey and we only live about a mile and a half from Buffalo Bayou on the West side. And yeah. so we had sandbagged the back of my house and uh, turned the power off and went to a hotel. And while we're at this hotel, I got an email that says, would you like to write a book called hundred things before you die? And, and my only response was, Sure, the first one could be learn to swim. <laughs> and then I didn't hear anything else back. Uh, I blew that out with my sense of humor. I should have just kept my mouth shut. But um, but they did eventually reach back out to me, probably after every other writer in Houston. I don't know if you, you, you may have gotten the call. <laughs> but, uh, I didn't. They, they didn't call me. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool, though. Um, yeah, it's, it's sort of like a, a passport of cool things to do around town. And yeah. um, it, Every little page is a different destination. And uh, one of the cool things people are doing that wasn't my idea is to, um, uh, when you go to and do a thing, like say one of the things is uh, brunch at Hugo's. If you go to have brunch at Hugo's, they're like asking the, the waiter to sign the page of the, of the book. Oh, yeah. So people are like, collect, like collecting it like a passport signature, you know, that's pretty oh, fun. Very cool. So it's kind of like the thing you keep in your glove box and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, and you uh, you're out and about, and you just need a, something to do. This this uh, I love books like this. My wife and I have had similar books to this in the past, and uh, uh, and we always forget they're there until the point where they're no longer useful. Like we we'll yeah. have like <laughs> twenty books for um, let's say what to do in Austin, and we'll go to Austin and leave all twenty of those books at home, and then by the time we remember to take them everything that's in those books has uh has gone closed yeah, yeah. <laughs> i've already had um, a few casualties yeah, yeah. <laughs> well which is in san antonio not austin but you get the drift so, yeah exactly uh, <clears throat> that's cool man so they've um this is a, uh, a traditional publisher i take it they're like they're a national mm -hmm. publisher is that right uh, yeah they're uh they're they're a national publisher yep they do a they're smaller shop which uh, mm -hmm. actually is great for a writer like me you know they, actually would return my phone call if I call. Yeah. <laughs> they, you know, they market for me. I have a publicist who sets up all these media events and uh, it's really nice, you know, sometimes bigger shop. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know by experience, but uh, I've heard stories of friends where, you know, hey, you got the deal. I hope you earn out. Good luck, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, the, I saw on your bio on the back cover that it says for more information, go to HoustonWriter.com. Is that you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> really? Okay. I'm a little envious of that your uh, that domain name. <laughs> okay, I tell you what, I'm not in Houston proper, so we'll just say 
you're the Houston writer and I'll be the Sugarland writer. I'll have there to there you go. <laughs> write out right now and get sugarlandwriter.com. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, Oh, that's cool, man. Um, I had a couple of opportunities to do things like this in the past. Um, I remember at one point I was, I was, uh, asked to give a pitch to do a book, the groom's handbook when I was getting married. Whoa. Uh, and I was gonna, I was gonna do it. Uh, and I don't remember why that fell apart, but it did. I'm kind of glad it did. Cause I think that would have put me on a different writing path than what I wanted to be on. So, well, I hear 50% of those fall apart. No, I'm kidding. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be tough. That'd be a lot of yeah. pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's why I didn't get the deal. Um, <laughs> I, don't, you so, know, I don't remember anything about my wedding, really. I like, you know, I've been married almost 20 years now, and I remember my car broke down on the way to the wedding ceremony. <laughs> I forgot socks. Steve like gave me some socks. Someone handed me a scotch and I just like woke up on my honeymoon. I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> we have similar uh, wedding stories. That's weird. <laughs> my wife, but, but don't you remember the tablecloth that your groom's cake was on? I'm like, honey. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember that there was a groom's cake, nor do I remember there being anyone else at the wedding. Uh, <laughs> that's cool, man. Uh, and you're, you're out promoting this. Um, so are they arranging, uh, these promotions at like Costco and other places? Or are you doing that? You know, uh, it's actually a very fair and profitable way to do it. Um, it's written in the contract that I have to set up a handful myself. Uh -huh. And they also have a small staff that, that will go through and just, you know, spend a couple weeks at a time, you know, working on my behalf. So I like that because, you know, you're not tempted to just, well, I have people for that, you know, and, right. uh, you have fewer events. It's easy to do that. I've done that before, you know, yeah, so, yeah. And, but you know, you, eventually you sell fewer books that way. So, <laughs> so it's kind of nice. It kind of keeps me, keeps me working a little bit, but then, you know, they do their thing and um, keeps things moving. So what are you doing when you set those up? A lot of people, I, this is something we don't talk about a lot on, um, on the show. I've done book signings and that sort of thing. I don't think I've ever talked to anyone about, um, finding these things. So what, what was your process when you're out looking for a place to do one of these? For this kind of book, I started with the things I included in the book, which was, you know, cheating, but also that's, that's not. Smart. No, that's not cheating, man. <laughs> that's smart. <laughs> hey, what do you know? You're in this book. How about I come over and sell a few copies, you know? And I had actually envisioned that, you know, a lot of, you know, practically everybody would want to be involved, but, you know, there's, everybody's busy and you know sometimes there's like a ton of red tape like with the you want to yeah. do a signing at the library there's like a huge bureaucratic process even though i've done all these books on houston at the archives there it's still like you gotta fill out this form and do that and i'm you know maybe i'll do it maybe i won't but <laughs> and right. sometimes i just i i hit up places that i like like that costco was uh, just the costco that i go to every saturday so right. so when i so I scheduled the signing from at the same time that I'm always there on Saturday. And then I, so I finished the signing and then I just got up and went and got some toilet paper, you know, <laughs> I'll, I, I'm going to get this huge bag of wings now on my way out. I'll still sign stuff. Exactly. So I'm in line at the end and like, Hey, weren't you just signing books back there? I said, yep. And now I'm buying cheese balls. <laughs> so the, way it, the way it went. That's the way but, to go, man. But That's yeah, you know, I have kind of, I, I really dig a lot of the smaller bookstores in town, like uh, murder by the book. I love, yeah, guys over there, and uh, like uh, Blue Willow is kind of by my house on the west side. And, and yeah, and, you know, I kind of, I kind of like starting at those places because you know it's, it's different than you know one of 
one of the few remaining Barnes and Nobles or now, did, did did Murder by the Book let you sign this book there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they did. Because <laughs> they gave me a hard time because I, I when I first first starting out, I tried to set up a signing for one of my sci-fi books there. Like, oh, no, really? Very strict about this. It has to be in this genre. Oh, I understand. You know, so I come back later as a, as a thriller writer, and everything's cool. But then, yeah, you know, right. You're, you're there, and I'm like, well, I know you wrote some short fiction for mystery magazines, that sort of thing. It must be, it must be I probably me. would did it. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I, I'm in the mystery writers of America. You know that. Yeah. There's always a signing going on over there, and you know, like that kind of thing. But mostly, you know, I just like that place. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's kind of it's it's famous. That bookstore is famous, like it attracts all the big name authors. It does, man. Oh, yeah. I think I think they either about to have or just had James Lee Burke with his new book. And but yeah. there's like every weekend there's something there, and it's always it's always something I want to go to, and it's always something I realize is happening when I either already have plans or it's over. I'm like, yeah, you and I need to we need to we need to start. Let's make a little bro club, and we'll start going to some of these together I'm down with that and I'm we'll be really that. critical let's be really critical of every author that comes through there better yeah <laughs> steve barry go home <laughs> i'm actually interviewing steve barry for a second time what? in a couple of weeks yeah, cool. um, he's yeah. Successful. what's that he's mildly successful He's mildly successful. He's one of those people, by the way, who's and this this actually gives me hope, believe it or not. He's one of those people that is so he's uh, super famous and no one's heard of him. You know, yeah. like he's he's Dan Brown level, maybe yeah. not Dan Brown level. He's like the next tier down from Dan Brown, and nobody's heard of him. That's so true, and that's so weird. <laughs> it is weird. Yeah. I heard I heard something um, on the topic of of tears and uh, writing careers. Uh, I think I heard it on your podcast, or maybe it was on Writer Types. It was on one, one podcast that I listened to, and it was something that, that I try to remember sometimes when I, when you know sometimes you feel a little beat up, you know, can't sell your project or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's it's that uh, no matter where you are in your writing career, like someone wishes they were you. That's right. <laughs> and when you, when you that's think right. about it. <laughs> I get interviewed. <laughs> I mean, I'll have people say things about my level of success. And I'm like, I work out of a three bedroom apartment that I rent, you know, uh, but I get it. I get it. I mean, I make a living from it. And that's something a lot of authors can't say. Seriously, that is no small thing. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's, uh, yeah, you get it. And that's, that's good to remember though. Cause even the guys who even years ago, you know, two, three, four, five years ago when I was not quite making a living at it, I still had people who, who wanted to be at the level I was at. And uh, that's a, that's a very important thing. To remember. That's a good point. Um, if you just uh, have made the decision to be a writer and you haven't really sold anything yet. Right. Someone wishes they had the guts to do that. You know? I tell, you know, I, you know me, man, I'm all about, I want to inspire, especially writers, but everybody, but writers in particular, I call them, I call a lot of these folks will be writers, the ones who are, they haven't published anything yet, but they're working on it. Yep. And I tell a lot of those folks, you know, you're already way ahead of most people just sitting down it's every true. day to write something, you know, it's true. So take some time. If you can find the right people, um, I really like, uh, uh, writing, like having beta readers in a critique group, you know, I'll kind of 
go in and out of critique groups sometimes and right. I've got one that I meet with now. And, and uh, there's always one person in a critique group that won't ever bring anything. Right. Like, you know, most people bring something all the time. That person may not ever bring anything for like right. three years. And then they like write this book and it's amazing, you know? You're like, oh, you're just staring it up. Okay. <laughs> they don't they don't bring anything until they show up one day with like their, you know, Pulitzer or uh similar award. <laughs> so exactly. um I wanna talk to you. One of the things that I wanted to chat with you about that I've been looking forward to is because you do hit these magazine markets and I wanted to to kind of pick your brain a little on um on how that goes for you. Cause this I mentioned this earlier, it may have gotten cut out because of all the technical issues, but um, this is a market that I think a lot of, uh, especially indie authors, could utilize for a number of reasons. Um, income, because you, you can make pretty decent money as a, as a short story writer if you're consistent with it, uh, but also exposure to a broader audience. If you do happen to write books, it's a great way to introduce new readers to your work. Uh, you can get some, you can make contacts in the industry. There's all kinds of reasons that I think that uh, short, short fiction is a great tool for writers. What, what's your take on that? Like what, what is it about it that attracted you? For sure. Actually, all those things are true. The thing that most attracted me to writing short fiction was the chance it gives you to develop your craft. Yeah. Without having to over, for invest, you know, you, who's the guy who wrote the Kundalini equation? <laughs> His name is Steve. Man, I can't. I'm drawing a blank. But yeah. um, I'll come back to that later. He's a really great sci-fi writer, um, and I think he's written some Star Trek episodes. But he's he's written. He did a lot of like. He's a martial artist, and he's written like a lot of martial arts novels. Which is where I've kind of um, okay read him in the past but he said um get to the point where you've published 10 short stories like had 10, 10 short stories published and you will feel if you're if you're just starting out you'll feel different than when you first started because you're at least you're developing your craft you're learning the concepts you're learning to execute you're learning to be uh harsh on the work and and you can do it in one day. it's just like a short story investment and that's that's really what one, the biggest reason I wanted to start writing short fiction is because, you know, uh, I just wanted to learn the skills and it was a format that was, you know, user friendly, but yeah, all those other things are totally true. Um, you know, it's, it's not like some people can totally, you know, it's, it's, this isn't the forties. So it's, it's tricky to make a living off short fiction, but people do make good money off it. Uh, yeah. Michael Bracken, uh, who I mentioned earlier, you know, I mean, he, you know, he's, I think he went through it like 14 years where he had a short story coming out every month. Yes. An incredible run when you think about that, because there aren't that many short story markets. Right. 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 <laughs> you know, but it was like, you know, Saturday evening post women's world, all the Ellery queen, all those, you know, it was like something every month and he, he must do pretty well with that. Um, but yeah. it's definitely like snow ski, you know? Yeah. And as, <laughs> as in indie authors in particular, and I'm not just, anyone who wants to write for, for a living, you know, this is a great uh, resource. But uh, one of the reasons why I push this for indie authors is that uh, you typically get the rights to that story back after a certain period. So you can, that's right. Yeah. Usually, um, Go ahead. totally like, for, like first, uh, was it first 
North American Sailor Rights or whatever right. is what, what most right. magazines sell. And then, you know, after that, if you want to do a collection and publish that, there's some publishers that just do that or people publish yeah. it on their, on their own. Yeah. Some people More just money. continuously resell the story uh, to different magazine markets over the years, which is interesting. But I, I rather like the idea of, um, you know, taking, if you can, over the course of a year, if you can manage to get, let's just say six stories published over the course of a year, which is a pretty big feat, but you know, you get six yeah, stories published. Good. Yeah, that's pretty aggressive. If you're doing it regularly though, I think you could do it. Uh, yeah. But even if it's just, even totally. just one of those sold over the course of a year and you've got, six six to twelve short stories we'll say um whether whether only one of them sold or all of them sold you can package all those at the end of the year into a book um and if they are somehow related to other you know long format fiction that you write so much the better so i love them i love the whole idea (laughs) i just love reading them too and that's you know sometimes i just as something i want to write yeah. Some, some stories, you know, they're, they're so organic. I, I don't know if you're a potter or a pantser, but, you know, total you pantser. Time and, uh, <laughs> you're one of those talented ones. <laughs> <laughs> some people might disagree. <laughs> Go ahead, I'm sorry. I wrote three novels before I realized, oh, that's not the way I do it well. I finally get it. I'm not a pantser. <laughs> but, you know, short stories are so organic. You know, it's a, uh, you, you can, um, you don't have to plan in advance. They can be very emotionally charged because there's not that much time and, and there can, they can be intricately plotted, but um, yeah. it's, it's a very organic. Well, that brings up uh, a good, good point though. What's uh, what are you aiming for when you're writing a, a short story? Well, do you have like a word count that you aim for? I don't. Most of the, oddly enough though, most of the short fiction that I've written has come out to around 7,000 words and I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah, that's where your rhythm is. I, I guess so. I, I tend to think of them all in one go, like like what happens in the ending, and it just kind of comes to me, and I sit down and write the whole thing. And yeah. and almost all the ideas I've come up with are like sitting in traffic or lying in bed, and you know they just sort of happen. You know, I right. uh, can't do that with a novel length work. You know? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I can't personally <laughs> but everybody's got their thing right right and like for, uh it's weird uh, but for me that sort that same sort of thing happens at around the sixty thousand word mark i my books if i just write without paying attention to word count and i hit the end i can almost count on it being between 60 and seventy thousand words every time and okay. that's just that's the way it works out yeah so, you know, I was talking to another guy who said the exact same thing. Um, oh, shoot. Gentleman in East Texas. I can't recall his name offhand, but he's a playwright by trade. And he said mm-hmm. the same thing because the way he's used to writing plays, like they usually are about that length. And yeah. after that. Yeah. Yeah. Someone pulls out a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is not to say that I always button up the ending right away. Um Sometimes I have to go back and do a little rewriting and that book gets a little longer, but uh, yeah, for the most part, I write a story and it's beginning, middle and end. It ends up being around that link. So I can, I understand what's happening. I think I understand intuitively what's happening uh, with you with the 7,000 word mark. I don't understand (laughs) why that's happening, but that's maybe that's something we should study. Maybe Um, so. Yeah. How are you? uh, So when you're pitching these to uh, magazine markets, are you doing this? 
are you sending the story uh, in total or are you sending a query or, uh, and how are you tracking that when you do that? Yeah, um, you know, sending the whole manuscript, uh, usually there's not a lot of querying going on in that market and okay. uh, um, there's software you can keep track of who, what you sent where, but usually I just do it. I had built a spreadsheet a long time ago and I just used to use it and it's, hey, yeah. who do I send it to? But almost always I have a market in mind when I write it. Because yeah. um, I have a concept and I thought, oh, you know, that'll be perfect for, you know, this thing over here. Yeah. And, um, and that actually brings up a, something else I wanted to mention about short fiction. I was, I was talking about this. I sat on a, pan, a short fiction panel at Sleuth Fest in Florida this past year, which, by the way, did you know iguanas probably live in trees? Iguanas, like, at the end of the branches on the trees. It was, yeah. it was very awesome and creepy. Wow. <laughs> um, like an alien but, uh, landscape. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's really interesting. I saw some parrots too. But yeah. um, one of the things I was talking about was um, the great thing about, you know, everybody's got a novel in a drawer somewhere, you know, yep. writers have a novel in a drawer somewhere. Right. Um, and even if you don't count the ones where you didn't know what you're doing or you, yeah. you felt like you didn't know what you're doing, like there's a good novel in a drawer somewhere. Um, well, the great thing about writing short fiction is say you have a mark in mind and you write something. Um, maybe editor didn't like it. There's a million reasons why someone kicks something back to you, you know, even if it's great. Um, uh, but the great thing is you can build up an inventory and have, you know, 20 stories sitting around and you didn't waste, you know, 10 years writing those things. And um, anthologies have become a big part of uh, anthologies. Can you tell it from Texas? Um, <laughs> anthologies are, have become a big part of the fiction market because someone will concept things like, uh, oh, you know, like an 80s themed crime anthology and they'll be like oh hey does anybody have any you know call for submissions for 80s stories you have one yeah. sitting around because you've been writing short fiction you know right <laughs> right to build inventory you know of those things sometimes you know people reach out to me and say hey do you have anything you know about this I'm like nah yeah. i don't really have anything you know but See, I, this is, I i don't write, i don't pre-write that stuff and maybe i should i'm too impatient though dude if i write something i i, I want it i want it out in the world that's that's yeah. probably a weakness I have. Uh, but the, the way I compensate for that is I, I can put 10,000 words or so down on a page in a day pretty easy. So if, I, if someone contacts me and says, hey, do you have a short story on topic awesome. X? I'll do that. <laughs> but I would much <laughs> rather have, yes, let me go through this file. Uh, yeah, this one is available. You know, I'd much rather have that. <laughs> it's funny the way those yeah i mean you know if you crank out ten thousand words a day yeah there's no reason you are the inventory <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but but that's stressful yeah here's what's funny bad how those about things work though um yeah you know, typically i'll write so like i remember one year actually i think it's the same group that did the eyes of texas anthology i'm going to be in this year i think when BatcherCon was in louisiana it was in new orleans a couple years ago yeah. um they had a they were doing an anthology it was like all by year related things Right. And um, I thought, oh, that sounds fun to submit to. So I wrote a, a story that involved, uh, you know how they, they found all these cars in the bayous here in town? Like mm -hmm. there's like 150 cars right. stolen or wrecked or <laughs> some with remains in them, you know, that are still in, in, in the bayous of Houston to this day. Right. Um, well, that'd be, that'd be a cool idea. So I wrote a story about um, uh, a guy who's a, a contract diver for the cops who, uh, was diving a wreck and found a bunch of money in a car and was trying to figure out how to steal it and keep it without getting caught. And um, it didn't get picked for that, for that anthology. And I was kind of disappointed. So I sent it around to some other places. It wasn't quite right. 
And then um, this new magazine called Switchblade opened up, runs out of LA. And um, it was kind of dark, noirish story. And it was kind of a dark, noirish publication. I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. So I sold it to those guys. And then um, that's the story that got picked up for the Best American Mystery Series this year. Oh, nice. <laughs> or yeah, last yeah. year, in, in 2018. You know, because yeah. someone saw it somewhere. You know, he's, you know it was a it's new magazine. So it's not yeah. now. When it, when it came out you know that's so. that's pretty cool how are you finding uh, the market like i'm sorry go ahead okay I think... okay i was just gonna say i um uh, like a uh you know like an underground publication that i was just you know involved with because i love that no one would ever see and i was cool with that and then it turned out to be this high profile thing where like you know i'm in there with lee child and james lee burke i was like oh no yeah <laughs> what <laughs> happened <laughs> that's sweet you want that. How, how are you uh, finding the markets though? How, how are you discovering that, that someone wants a story about bayous or whatever? How are you finding that stuff? You know, um, nowadays it's usually people reaching out, you know, um, there's also a, a mailing called the uh, Short Mystery Fiction Society. Okay. That's uh, kind of like, a, it's like, I think it's started out as a Yahoo group, but now it's like a, it's an email list that, people talk about new markets and things like that. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it's run by a guy in Dallas named Kevin Tipple, if I remember correctly. Um, but, but that's a good way to find uh, new markets for that sort of um, in that genre anyway. Right. That's good. Those are good tips. Uh, and otherwise it's just like, you know, who do I read kind of thing. Right. And you're, you hit on a couple of things I think are important and we'll wrap up after this, but I, um, you, the two things you said that stuck, stuck with me when it comes to like magazine markets, short story markets is one, you like to read short stories and uh, that's not true of everybody. Sometimes I find short stories kind of annoying. So <laughs> if you don't like short fiction though, then you're probably not going to be very good at writing short fiction. Uh, and then you also that's mentioned true. hunting for the right market. You know, the right, you read those magazines. So you write with that market in mind. That's, that's, that's yeah. good advice. I, uh, I, you know, even, you know, even with, with anything I try and sell, I typically have a place in mind. Now they might not have me in mind when I pitch it to them, but, right. <laughs> but I, I do have somebody in mind. <laughs> yeah, no, that's important. These are important things, man. All right. Um, well, look, I've, despite our technical issue, issues, um, that was the combination of difficulty and issues, dishes. Um, <laughs> Despite that, our issues, um, I, I've really enjoyed ch chatting with you, man. I always enjoy chatting with you. We don't do it Likewise. enough. Likewise. I agree. We should do this more often. We should. We're, we're like 15 feet away from each other at, yeah. at all times. Uh, so there's really no excuse for us to not get together. We'll, we'll, let's, let's do that, man. We'll, we'll that plan. Sounds good. We can get together and do one of the things in my book. <laughs> exactly. We got a whole book. We, we don't even have to get nitro coffee somewhere. Get nitro coffee. Uh, and uh, did, we didn't share any of those stories on air. We'll have to do a follow-up episode at some point and let people know uh, what the nitro coffee thing is about. Sounds good. Yeah. I just actually assigned the contract for uh, another book with that publisher. Um, drops, I think tentatively next year. It's wow. uh, Secret Houston. So nice. like things to do and see that are kind of under the radar, you know, yeah. the Stern or Mark Frelas and things like that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. All right. All right. Well, I'll have to, you got me hooked, man. I'm going to have to buy another one of your books. I'll make sure to bring this and maybe your, uh, your short story from the one I have from you from uh, Ellery. 
Uh, oh, sweet. <laughs> All right. Cool, uh, well, hey, thanks so much for being on, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Everybody else, uh, I hope you enjoyed this, this interview. And uh, make sure you pick up 100 Things to Do in Houston Before You Die, even if you don't live in Houston, even if you're not coming to Houston, because reasons. Uh, but buy that. Support uh, Dylan and his work. And find everything you need to know about Dylan on the show notes of this website. Oh, this show, this website, this episode on my website at wordslingerpodcast.com. And uh, right now, you're probably hearing that groovy theme music. You may dance in place at will, and I'll see you on the other side. Hear your book the way it was meant to be heard with a fully custom soundtrack based on your material, an album of music that perfectly fits your characters, your settings. Hear your book today. SonataInscribe.com. Hey, thanks for sticking around through that interview with Dylan Powell. I hope you uh, got something really useful out of that. Um, short fiction is a uh, it's something I'm keenly interested in these days. Uh, I recently, for my mailing list, I wrote a, um, a short story called The Janai Sigil, um, <clears throat> which I know is gives some people some difficulty. Nick Thacker in particular... <laughs> <laughs> had trouble with the title. Um, I don't care. I think it's a great title and I like it. Uh, but people have really responded to that short story. And it's really, a, it's it's sort of stoked a fire within me. Um, I've had kind of a, a, a pretty keen interest in, in getting back to short fiction for a while now. It's been uh, tricky because I've been, I've been very heads down on getting more Dan Kotler novels written. And I'd always had trouble with a Dan Kotler short story in the past. I'd written one, which was uh, The Brass Hall. Um, and in fact, that book, that uh, novella, uh, people have <laughs> pestered me for years now to expand it into a novel. And I was going to do that. I was going to do that. Uh, but I went a different direction instead. I'm not ready to fully reveal what uh, what has transpired there, but... Um, I will soon, because I've done something uh, really cool with that, I think. But the short fiction idea, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of people about this, um, and Dean Wesley Smith in particular, I had a chat with him on the show, but also at 20 Books Vegas, uh, and he and his wife, they both do a lot of short fiction. uh, And they have these strategies that I think are brilliant. I mean, they put this stuff out for... The magazine markets, uh, so they have an income stream coming through there. They uh, collect these into volumes that they can release as uh, first as the Smith Monthly um, sort of short story magazine format kind of thing that he releases on Kindle and elsewhere. Um, You know, there's a lot of opportunity here. Now, I've talked to some folks who question this, uh, whether or not it's really effective, whether or not it's really worth the time, do, do they really make enough money off of it, how much effort goes into it. There's a lot of things to consider if you're thinking about short stories as a um, as a revenue stream. Um, I kind of just, I, I just like the idea. That one of the things I like about short fiction is I can leverage it as content for my mailing list um, and as a way to draw in new readers. My idea, um, the strategy that I, that I want to experiment with, and I believe has been hinted at by Dean and others, um, I want to 
start getting a bunch of the short stories uh, out there and in the magazine markets in order to act as a, as another means of discoverability for my long format fiction. <clears throat> so if I can write short stories that feature Dan Kotler and Roland Denzel or any of their sort of ancillary characters, that gives me uh, a path to put readers on. Now, there's it's questionable whether or not uh, readers of short stories will also want to read longer fiction. But I feel like my novels um, are really... <laughs> tend to be really long short stories. That's the way I've, I've kind of thought of them, like, you know, 60 to 80,000 word short stories because of the way that I structure them. Um, and uh, so I think the format would work really well. Uh, you can, by the way, try this out, uh, go, you know, help me figure this out if you like. Go over to uh, kevintumlinson.com and click on one of the little banners I've created for the the Janai sigil. Um and uh, sign up on the mailing list and get um, the free short story. Uh, now, that'll also give you an opportunity to kind of see what I'm doing with my mailing list. Because I'm doing something a little different. I, I, I do have some autoresponders not on that list these days. Um, mostly because I, I, while I could create the funnel and I could nurture the leads and get them to, you know, try them out, uh, try out the books and that sort of thing, it didn't feel personable enough when I was doing it. Um, and I, I revamped everything for this whole personable concept that I, were, <laughs> that I work from, which is to engage directly with these readers <clears throat> in a uh, in a regular newsletter. In a, you know, I try to write something weekly and I try to make it less about marketing the work and more about firmly establishing a relationship with these readers so that when I do market the books, uh, they are more interested and engaged and they are more willing to help. Um, <clears throat> on that note, so I, I spent last Saturday going back through Quelo Medallion. <laughs> if you're on my list, you know the story here. Um, but here's what happened in, in, in short. And I'm still, I'm not, I'm kind of fuzzy on some of the specifics, but <clears throat> one thing I knew happened. And hold on, I'm going to, I'm going to mute myself while I clear my throat because I am dying here. Hold on. Sorry about that. Everyone knows that in an audio format like podcasting and radio, uh, silence is, is always golden. <laughs> mm. And of course, drinking water in your ear. So here's how things shook out somewhere along the way. Um, when I revised, okay. When I first published Quelo Medallion, uh, there were, I was still figuring out the, the genre. Uh, and I had some, some, uh, vignettes in the, uh, opening prologue of that book. And one of them was, I think there was maybe at least one too many. Um, so I, uh, had left that in, and then I'd also made some pretty heinous mistakes. <laughs> I had uh, at one point uh, I I I reveal the mole, the the guy who is sort of playing double agent, and uh, I name him, and then later for the rest of the book uh, I refer to him by another name, <laughs> as a different character, an already established character. So uh, that was a, a glaring problem. Some folks called that out. A lot of people just completely overlooked it, which I think is interesting. 
But it always bugged me. And plus there were typos and things that I knew were there that I wanted to fix. So I had um, I had gotten a lot of feedback from people over the years uh, with notes on how to fix the book and things I should focus on, especially typos. And so uh, I had gone through, I believe it was early last year, early 2018, had edited the entire book using the feedback I got, gave it to some uh, a select number of uh, beta readers who were willing to reread a book they already had, and uh, I got it pretty clean. <clears throat> and then I uploaded that to Amazon. Well, um, somewhere along the way, and I'm not sure when, I th- so I've updated, I've I've re-upped several versions of that book, not with major edits, but with like little minor things. Maybe I'm updating the call to action. Maybe I'm, uh, you know, changing the, uh, maybe I'm adding the current um, also buy page. You know, there was all kinds of reasons I would up update it. Somewhere along the way, I updated it with uh, an earlier draft that still had typos and other problems. Some pretty big ones. It had, it, it had been edited. It had been edited to remove the major problems. It even had my uh, sort of author's note, my additional author's note at the end, explaining that I had edited the book and fixed things, and this was the final time. I was never going to edit it again. Uh, turns out that wasn't true. <laughs> so um, I I don't know how, but I overwrote the clean version with a less clean version. And... I can sort of figure out approximately when this happened because I started getting several uh, negative reviews in a row about the editing. saying it was, A lot of them would say it was a really good story, but the editing just turned them off. Um, really needs editing, bad editing, poor editing. One lady gave me a whole bunch of examples, um, which was kind of nice because then I could find those in the document. So clearly something had gone wrong, and I didn't. I don't know exactly when, I don't know how, but I overrode it. <clears throat> I was blaming Amazon forever, because I'm like, I keep uploading in a clean version, but they keep putting out the old crappy version, turns out it was me all along. So, um, I dove back into this on Saturday of last week, and uh, I spent an entire day running my editing process, The my new... Uh, system, which I'll, I'm going to dive into that a, a bit more later. I've talked about it in the past, but I've got some news on that front. So uh, I used my my system, and I also incorporated notes that I had from uh, from readers, including the original notes. So I, I went through this whole process of cleaning the book up, got it back up on Amazon, gave it a couple of days, and on Tuesday of this week, I sent an email to my mailing list, and I said. <clears throat> subject line was something like, um, I've, I goofed and I could really use your help. And, um, I went on in the email to explain <laughs> exactly what I just told you that somehow I overwrote the book. I was getting negative reviews. And so I put a link to the book and I said, if you have read this book and you have not already left a review, if you liked the book, I would really appreciate a, a good review on Amazon. Actually, I don't even think I said give me a good review. I think I just said give me a review. An honest review. I, I didn't want anyone fawning over it if they hated it. Um, I didn't. I wasn't trying to game the system. I was trying to um, basically get get 
past the negative reviews. Get some positive reviews up on this new, on this book uh, to let people know that things had changed. So <clears throat> the <laughs> I was very personable, as I've said. i you know meaning by the way that I'm, I'm talking to them like they are good friends of mine and not customers of mine. Um, uh, although I am professional, I, I do, and I'm, I'm not revealing personal details per se, but I am approachable. I make myself a normal human being, uh, in talking to other normal human beings. The response I got, <laughs> the response I got from that hundreds and hundreds of, of emails from people saying they understand people make mistakes. Uh, they're happy to help. Some people said they've already reviewed it. Could they review it a second time? And then, you know, I explained that. And some people said that they'd never read it, but they were going to, and they would review it after. Some people said, um, I've, I, I never even thought about putting a review, so I'll go do that now. Some people said, I, I commented on the negative reviews and said you had fixed this problem, you know, there, which I did not ask them to do. Actually would have preferred no one had done that. Uh, but I don't think it necessarily hurts. So, you know, there's a part of me that kind of worries that Amazon's going to see this influx of reviews. Because I, th- I think I got a good 50 new reviews that day. Uh, just that day. Um, part of me kind of wonders if Amazon is seeing that spike in reviews and, and is questioning it. Um, <clears throat> sorry about the swallowing again. Um, but, you know... If that happens, it happens. I'm, I have no control over Amazon. And I did not pay anyone or present a free book or give anything away to get these reviews. And I didn't ask for positive reviews. Um, now I have a policy. I re- would rather people never leave a review if it's going to be negative. And, and there are obvious reasons for that. But there's also this, I, I've stopped leaving negative reviews. I used to leave them. I, there's plenty of them out there and some of them are kind of, scathing some are funny you know but the thing is I, i've come to realize and uh, i have some empathy for people now <laughs> because i'm a producer of content as well uh, but i've come to realize that negative reviews never serve a positive purpose and i've had some argument against this idea from a few folks but i'm going to stick to it and here's why because there's a difference between offering uh you know, criticism and feedback with the intent of helping someone improve and providing only negative criticism in a public venue, there's no, what's your purpose for that? Your only purpose for that would be to persuade people to not read the book, which would mean you might influence someone who might not otherwise have cared that there was a typo, you know, or two or 50 or whatever, and would have just enjoyed the book and gone on to discover other, maybe better edited books, you're going to discourage that person from even trying the book. So there's no good that comes out of negative reviews. And uh, if you disagree with me, I understand. I, I um, It is opinion. Uh, it is an opinion. Some some people can be very, I don't know, it's... it's <laughs> Some people come off like they're schooling me. They're teaching me. Listen, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. uh, But you suck. 
and you should give up. <laughs> Some people come off like that. You know, look, sweetie, this isn't for everyone. Not everyone should be out there writing and publishing. And you're in that crowd. You shouldn't be. <laughs> I've had people say things like that to me. Um, <clears throat> thankfully, not a lot of people these days. These days, I get a lot of encouragement. Uh, and I get very few negative reviews. But I was getting several in a row on Quelo Medallion for the editing. <clears throat> so I fixed that. I put. I, I got these reviews. I've, now, what... What I wanted to, where I wanted to kind of bring this around, was this personable approach that I'm using in email, has has benefited me in in incalculable ways. <laughs> um, it's been really remarkable as as I've as I've really entrenched myself in this idea and just plowed forward with it. I. It, I should say, and I've, I've talked about this a little before, but the, the idea here is I took out the slick marketing approach and I'm, I'm only talking to people like people. And because of that, when you ask someone for help, they're more willing to help you. They, they feel that they're doing good by helping you. And that's, that, uh, that's good for everybody. Now, in turn, I am very responsive to everyone. When I get an email from a reader, I respond. Sometimes it doesn't warrant a response. You know, sometimes, you know, some, some readers, I had one lady, um, respond to my, to my request for help with, uh, I am not going to be tricked into subscribing to a paid service. Uh, so no, thank you. <laughs> I'm like, well, I have no idea what you're talking about. I assume she went to check out the link and uh, was in, was encouraged by Amazon to join Kindle Unlimited. That's the only thing I can think of. Uh, and you know, some people are like that. I'm not out to trick anybody, so I you know I told her, look, it's okay. I'm not trying to trick you. If you don't want to receive these emails, there's a big unsubscribe button at the bottom of every email. I made sure to put a button you can click. <laughs> it isn't even just a link, folks. I want them out. If they want out, I want them out. I don't want people on my mailing list who are mad at me, who are, uh, you know, annoyed, who are n never going to buy a book from me. I don't need you. So, uh, I give them a, the biggest door out that I can find. Um, <clears throat> so, this, but I, I am responsive to these people. Some of these people write me asking for help. Some authors uh, are on my mailing list, and they'll write and ask, you know, how can you help me promote a book? Which I, I have to say, I, it, I do some cross promotion, but I have to be very picky, and you should be too. You should be very picky about cross promotion. You should only cross promote with people who share um, the your target audience. Um, which for me means I'm going to mostly cross-promote with thriller authors. And among thriller authors, I'm largely going to cross-promote with authors who are writing archaeological thrillers or something akin to those. Um, because that group is going to be uh, my best bet, right? They're going to be my best bet for making sales. And they're also going to be my best bet for uh, understanding for being a good fit for the content that I'm producing, not for understanding it. They're going to they're gonna be smart enough to understand it, but they may not be a good fit for it. I share lots of little essays and anecdotes about history and archaeology and uh, 
you know, quirky little things that I know readers of my books will enjoy because this is the feedback I get from them is they love that stuff in the books. So I give them some of that, you know, reveal some of the research that I'm doing. Uh, I shared a story about the, the nuclear boy scout, for example, I shared a story, um, about the, um, uh, comparative mythology, you know, how we've got these mythologies in the world that, that all sort of circle back to the same concepts. I, I've, I've shared several stories like this, and I know that my readers love it because they tell me and they feel comfortable telling me. And when they tell me, I respond and maybe I give them more information or maybe I share another little tidbit or maybe I just say thanks. You know, thank you for your support and I appreciate your kind words. And people hear that a lot. Uh, it is kind of a, you know, an almost automated response. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes there's nothing else I have to say. Uh, but I, I, you know, and I get people who ask me for help with uh, their, you know, promotions and things. But I largely get people if someone asks me for something, it's usually like, you know, is it okay for me to forward this to my son? Is it okay? Uh, do you offer print copies of your books? Do you, you know, do you have audio books? People ask you that stuff. That's that's market research. When people ask you for, for a different version of your book, you know that there's a market for it. If you get a lot of those, you know there's a big market for it. Um, I'm, I'm starting to get people ask when I'm going to put these books on a wider platform, wider distribution. And if you've followed me for any length of time, uh, you know that all of my books uh, outside of my Dan Kotler books are wide. But my Dan Kotler thrillers right now are exclusive. So I'm using uh, KDP to build momentum for these things uh, with the intention of once I've hit, I'm aiming for 12 books in this series before I start going wide with it. Uh, and I've got a whole strategy in mind for, for this. And I'll be testing that as I go. But now I know that there are people on my mailing list who want those books on different platforms. That's market research. So, and I'm happy to uh, accommodate them. Uh, as soon as I can. <laughs> um, so that's, you know, the whole personable email approach is um, treat your mailing list as if they're a bunch of, of friends and family that you uh, maybe you don't know that well, but you want to keep in touch and you're being polite and you're being civil. Um, it's a great opportunity to, uh, you know, to, to experiment, to share. I share some of the research I find because, uh, depending on the reaction I get, I may choose to actually write a, a novel or short story based on that research. And when I say research, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to, <laughs> you know, university libraries, uh, and cloistering myself off in, in a room somewhere <laughs> stooped over a dusty tome, uh, reading by lamplight or something. You know, my research is, you know, the books I'm reading for enjoyment, uh, to just inform myself, the videos I watch on, on YouTube, programming I watch on television, uh, conversations I have with, uh, with others. Uh, you know, I gain my research and material through um, organic exposure more than anything. And if I need to drill in on a topic, um, I can do that. Uh, for example, this is um, a, a book I've been reading to kind of bone up on my druidic history this is just one of like five books that I've read recently, um, both in digital format and print format. 
um, just to learn more about the Druids. Some of the things that I'm writing about involve uh, Druidic culture and, and their religious practices. So, um, but I enjoy reading this stuff. So it's not, it's, it's not work for me. It's just more enjoyment. And then I get to take the, what I learn and use it. So that's a lot of fun. <clears throat> um, I was going to tell you about the, uh, some news about the editing process that I have. <laughs> Cause I've got, what I've done is I've, I've, I've really put a focus on editing because it's been a weakness. And now I think it's becoming a strength and I think I'm getting much better at it. Um, and I have a whole process that involves both a, it's a combination of software and humans. <laughs> and, uh, the humans are integral to this process, by the way, they're in no danger of being replaced. Uh, and, uh, the software is, uh, malleable as well. What I've been doing is experimenting. And as I, um, as I try things out and something else works a little better than, than the last thing I tried, you know, I'll replace it and I'll, I'll, you know, tweak the system. I'll take the steps and reorder them. Um, and right now I've got an, I've got seven steps, a seven step editing process, which sounds like it might be complex, but it's actually, it's seven really stupid, easy steps that, that I can do. Um, that in effect I was doing anyway, but in changing the order of operations and in changing the, uh, the tools, you know, being selective about the tools I'm using, uh, and being selective about when, when in the writing process I'm applying this editing, um, I'm actually, I've made a lot of, I, I've, I've come up with something that works very smoothly for me. And it's plug and play, so it should work smoothly for any writer. Um, just taking out the, the the things that they don't care about and plugging in the things they do care about. For example, not every writer uses Scrivener. Scrivener is a big part of my writing process. So if you prefer to work in you know Microsoft Word or Google Docs or IA Writer or something like that, Ulysses, um, you can, uh, you can replace Scrivener in this process and the process itself remains the same. Um, and the same with Microsoft Word. I, Microsoft Word's part of my process. Uh, Grammarly is a part of my process. It could easily be ProWritingAid. It could easily be Hemingway. It could easily be Google Docs. It could easily be, you know, you name it. Um, so the, the technical side of stuff can change and is um, flexible. The uh, order of operations is, is what's really revolutionized things for me, and I think it will work for you as well. And uh, and then the human component of this is uh, sort of the, the double check my work kind of thing. Enlist other humans. Um, I am very keen on owning my entire process. Sometimes to my detriment in the past, but I think that it's paying off. And I own every aspect of my process now, including the editing, which I used to outsource entirely. Now I sort of have a hybrid outsourcing model uh, in that I'm, do I'm not doing the editing entirely myself the way I did early on, which led to lots of mistakes and problems left in the manuscript. I'm at a point, however, where if I chose, I truly believe I could stick with just my editing, <laughs> um, and have an, a, an MVP, a, a minimal viable product. However, 
I've found that uh, no matter how well I my process works, my uh, the automated and software-driven side of it, humans still find errors in this thing. So I think the human component is necessary and vital. Um, so beyond that, all, all that. So I've talked about the personable aspect of of uh, I've talked about the person personable aspect of uh, the emails. I've talked about this new process. The news is that. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, I'm writing an, a new nonfiction book that is all about this process plus uh, other aspects of uh, what I'm calling the word slinger method. And uh, a hat tip to uh, Roland Denzel, who is basically being a uh, he's supporting me in a lot of this and has nudged me with a little side project he and I are working on, um, but also has he's been very encouraging. Uh, but he's, he, because of our conversations, it was sort of top of mind that I should do a new book. I had, uh, thought about, I may still do this. I thought about, uh, updating 30 day author with, uh, everything that I've learned since I wrote it. But instead of that, I think I may just go in and, and do a sort of an update on certain aspects of it. And then this new book, it will be sort of the, uh, sequel to 30 day author. Uh, I have to also give a hat tip to Joe Russo of We're the Russos because he had asked me <laughs> for a a rundown of my editing process because uh, he's nearly done with his new book. And um, I had written it all up for him and realized that I had a pretty well-organized series of steps here. And I immediately pasted that into Scrivener. Um, and because I got interested in it, I fleshed out the rest of the book while I was in there and wrote about... I've to, in the past two days, I've written 10,000 words <laughs> in this book. I'm, uh, and I put a sort of arbitrary target of 60,000 words. Who knows if I'll, if I'll need that much space. Nonfiction is a little different than fiction, but, um, I, the way I look at it, I've written 10,000 words on this new book. I'm, I must be enthusiastic about it. <laughs> and, uh, and where 30 day author was very, um, focused on sort of inspiration and encouragement, uh, giving you that formula that I, that I give people about, you know, how to determine your, your, uh, daily word count, for example. Um, I, you know, I give you the 30 day author formula in that book, which I, I give everyone for free and it's just a common sense formula anyway. But, uh, you know, there's, so there was in 30 day, there were these steps, processes, you know, but it was mostly about head, you're getting your head right, your head game, uh, your, your mental game. It was um, encouragement to write every day. It was, you know, suggestions on how to improve craft and how to get better at writing, how to even get a little faster at writing. Um, it was, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of tips, but not a lot of resources. So this book is more about tools and resources. And it's more about a process, processes actually, because I've got, um, I've got not only this editing process that I've kind of outlined for you here, uh, but I've got some other other tips on, uh, you know, basically just how to capture your uh, lightning in a bottle and get your book written. How to, you know, I'm going to have some marketing, minor marketing tips like an author one on one kind of thing. Um, 
I've got it's going to be filled with some useful stuff, and uh, I, I'm real excited about it. Uh, if I keep going at the rate I'm going, it should be written in the next few days. So <laughs> uh, that's fun. Um, anyway, so there we are. That's news. Uh, normally, I wouldn't even announce something like that this early, but I think that this is going to be a useful book for folks. Um, I'm very, uh, I'm very excited to pull it together. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe I'll get some feedback from people for, uh, a few things maybe you, you would like to hear or like to see, or if I've given you tips on this show that you, you think I should expand on, you know, feel free to hit me up with that stuff. So anyway, um, that's it. Uh, We're going to go ahead and wrap up. I, I, uh, appreciate you being here and sitting through. I hope you like this new format. Tell, let me know. Comment uh, on this post, you know, on the uh, show notes at wordslingerpodcast.com, or um, you can uh, email me from that from that site. Uh, you can uh, hit me up on Facebook, Twitter. You know, just search Kevin Tomlinson on in, pretty much any social media platform, and you'll find me. Uh, let me know in, in, on YouTube as well. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can comment below. I try to keep up. I'm going to, I'm getting a little better about checking more regularly. <laughs> I need to get much better about it. Uh, and, uh, but you know, let me know, let me know what you got, what you're thinking. I, uh, I can always, you know, consider it, uh, if, if not flat out use the tips you give, but, um, I'm enjoying myself right now. I'm having a really good, this is a very good time in my writing career. Uh, the books are doing very well, doing very well financially. I'm, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm enjoying the work more than I have probably in my entire life. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to convey some of what's making that work for me, some of what what's making that happen for me in this book. So I'm hoping hoping that uh, you'll pick up on that vibe and and dig it so anyway oh and thank you for the folks who have let me know that they're listeners and that they are uh, really enjoying the show if you are a listener go and uh review this show on amazon in itunes uh, i'm not amazon and uh apple itunes um just search wordslinger podcast in the podcast section there and uh leave leave a review for the show um it helps with discoverability of the show, of course, uh, and it helps with my ego. <laughs> helps me know that because uh, I know there's a lot of people listening, but I, I I think I just generally forget to ask people to leave uh, reviews. So if you could do that, I would appreciate it. Um, and beyond that, we're gonna go ahead and close shop here today. I hope you enjoy um, your weekend. It's cold here in Houston. You can tell by the sweater. I'm wearing. Uh, It's cold here, uh, and it's probably cold where you are, considering the whole polar vortex thing. So stay warm, stay safe, stay healthy. God bless each of you, and I'll see you all next week. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Wordslinger Podcast. Now, you can support this show by visiting wordslingerpodcast.com. That's where you're going to find back episodes, books by me, and links to anything and everything Wordslinger. And be sure to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and anywhere else fine podcasts are sold. I'm Kevin Tomlinson. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.